This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Andrew, it's not coming home. It's not coming home. What's not coming home? The footy is not coming home. It went to Italy instead of ye old England. Are you talking about football? Talking about the football. I was ready to be sad that I... Like last week... I was all amped up to go to the beach, and now I'm back from the beach. Mm. I was going to be, you know, get a lot more mileage out of beach talk. Oh, sure. Well, I'm just but all no, hyped from... Yeah, let's talk about... Because, like, Ted Lasso season two com- two's coming out. Everybody's talking about the game of America... Or- American soccer. <laughs> the beautiful game of American soccer. We're going to be talking about the novel Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh, um, which, ironically, is a Scottish novel. <laughs> Hey, nice. Uh, I read it. Uh, I'm going to talk to Andrew about it. And it was kind of fitting that I was, I spent, you know, two hours this afternoon watching England lose (laughs) at footy. And it was. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm just off Twitter for a while. Like, I'm not on there that much anymore. You definitely take Um, the weekends off. I'm very proud of you. I, t- I mean, I take a lot of, like, my vacation I took off of Twitter substantially. That that might be changing pretty soon, but <laughs> um, sometimes I just hop on Twitter and I'm scrolling, you know, through my, my close friend and my internet friend feeds, and I just hit this, like, two-hour yeah. stretch where everyone's obviously tweeting about the same thing, but I have to piece together from context clues what it is, and that's what happened with this soccer game mr tweetman i gave you all the clues england lost (laughs) sorry Um, england anyway we're gonna talk about books andrew how does the book podcast work uh every week one of us reads a book we have never read before and tells the other person about it okay and this week as craig said he read irvine welsh's train spotting yep Uh, another thing that we do in this book podcast is we talk a little bit about the author in the hopes that the context of their lives gives us some insight into the stuff that the book is about. So here, let me tell you a little bit about Irvine Welsh. Can I quickly thank our listener, Haley, who's also a Patreon supporter, who recommended this book for our show? No, you can't do that. Okay, sorry, Haley. Andrew wouldn't let me say anything. <laughs> he wouldn't let me tell our listeners that you said, don't be too put off by how much of the book is written in Scottish dialect. I found I got used to it quickly, and the book is dark, funny, and excellent. I wanted to recommend it, and as I think it would be hilarious to hear you attempt the dialect. I, I'm not allowed to say that. Moving on. You're not. Yeah, no, you're not. But you are allowed to attempt some dialect later, We'll get there. We'll get there. you're interested in. Uh, so Irvine Welsh, I mean, we start off with a mystery. Uh-oh. He's born in 1958, or was or he? Or was he? <laughs> because when he was arrested in 1996 for like drunkenness at a soccer game, mm-hmm. the Scottish police said that his birth year was actually 1951. The Guardian piece that I read about this, which was clearly written by somebody with an axe to grind. <laughs> <laughs> 
who wanted to expose that this man who was known for his like drug centric novels was actually like a a norm core <laughs> like former city government employee uh it, he wrote that thing that the glasgow police said about him being born in 1951 and then did not do any follow-up research. oh so he's born in the born in 1958 or 1951 somewhere in there yeah, I and saw at least is, one interview where Welsh was just like, ha ha ha, how old am I? And then like ran away. <laughs> there are definitely some things in his biography that make a little more sense if he's slightly older. Yeah. Uh, like when he is playing guitar in the London punk scene in the late 70s <laughs> makes more sense if he's in his late 20s rather than his late teens. You never know, though. But yeah, But you never know. You never know. Uh, yeah, he's a Scottish novelist and playwright. He was born in Edinburgh and his, and yeah, he was a guy. <laughs> I already said the, the order that I wrote these things in, I already said the thing about the London punk scene. Okay. I just, for some reason, the second thing that I wrote about him after that he was born in Edinburgh was that his father died when he was 25 and yes. then I have no follow-up information. His mom but, was, his mom was a waitress. His dad was a dock worker. They mm-hmm. lived in some tenement homes in Leith. Like, th- there's a thread throughout his career and in this book of like public housing and dealing with local government, yes, which also definitely. crops up in his employment history. Yeah. Um, so he was like after he was uh, after his rebellious period in London in the in the seventies. Uh, you know, throughout this, he was arrested a handful of times before cleaning up and starting work in local government, uh, which he did for at least the next decade. Like I, I know that at least through the late 80s, he was working in local government in Edinburgh. Uh, Train Spotting was released in 1993, and I believe you know sometime around then would make sense for him to make the transition from city employee to after <laughs> full-time author. I think it but, was uh, after the film was made in 96. 96, yes. Um, he says he like never went back to a day job. He had yeah. um, started publishing. So the book is a bunch of short stories that all feature the same characters, but it's not like clearly delineated short stories a lot of them have overlapping plot points and things like that um so some of it was being published in magazines as early as 1991 Mm -hmm. um, but then was published in 1993 sure uh so yeah train spotting released in 93 uh its popularity is is goosed by the 1996 film starring future star wars star yeah ewan mcgregor Mm mm-hmm uh, McGregor also returned. In fact, all of the principal actors from uh, the first movie returned for a 2017 sequel called T2 Train Spotting, <laughs> which does sound like a Terminator thing. I can't again. believe they called it T2 Train Spotting. T2 Train Spotting. In 2017, they made this film. <laughs> And apparently, like, it's, you know, the the original is considered one of the best films of, of the 90s. Like, it's very well regarded. The, the second one doesn't replicate that. But it is, you know, as somebody who just watched the movie Independence Day and then did a lot of research on the film Independence Day 2. Yeah. T2 Train Spotting was much better regarded critically <laughs> than this sort of, like, after-the-fact sequel thing tends to be it is my understanding also that that film um not the independence day sequel which we both know only hearsay about we can't wait to watch it 
in a we year can't wait to watch now. it next year um yes. the t2 train spotting movie love that title was based on a book called porno that uh welsh published in 2002 which was like a sequel that featured the same so the the and it's not like one for one i don't think but the material he's written a few books that feature the skag boys as some of them are called yeah so it's he has revisited locations and themes from train spotting in subsequent work like you mentioned his experience with like public housing and those kinds of Mm -hmm. of environments as as a backdrop for a lot of his work but yeah he's he's explicitly done sequels and prequels to train spotting a few times so porno in 2002 was the first uh skag boys in 2012 is a prequel that shows how each character sort of descends into addiction which sounds the, listen, man. Sounds like a fun book. Sounds like a real fun book. Real cut up, a real good one. Uh, and then 2016's "The Blade Artist" is a book about uh, Francis Begbie, who's a oh god, who's a particularly uh, unlikable character is the in Joker. Train Spotting. Like, yeah, he I, is the Joker. Boy. Um, there's another one called and Dead then and then there's another right? there's a sorry there's a sequel to Blade Artist like a direct sequel to it in 2018 called dead men's yes. trousers, okay. which features more of the train spotting gang. Great. Love it. Getting back together. So all, all these cool boys just <laughs> being hanging out, being doing, doing heroin. Yeah. 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 Um, and it is, you know, in part based on his experience in his early twenties with a heroin problem and living in this community and culture. Um, he says, uh, Train Spotting was not only my first novel, it was my first real attempt at writing, so I'm very proud of it. It was a book I could only write at a certain point in my life. Started properly when I was 30, looking back at my life around 22, 23. It seemed a long way in the distance by then because I was living in a very different way. I think you know when you've, let's say, messed up, you want to understand why, what your frame of mind was, and more importantly, what the points of transition were. I think that the Renton character, that's Ewan McGregor's the character, the main character, was probably closest to my mindset at the time. Um, there's some other quotes of his that I might pull up later, but yeah, sure. this is definitely based. Yeah, I think it was based on some diaries that he had kept while he was in London messing around doing yeah, his and that, thing. And that that '96 Guardian piece, which again <laughs> does seem to have been written by somebody who really wanted to deflate. I guess Irvine Welsh's incredible <laughs> fame at that point in time. <laughs> It does like it, the piece interviews a lot of people who like knew him in school and knew him from his time in city government, and they're all like, "Well, if he was doing a bunch of drugs when he was in city government, I didn't know about it because he was always on time and he always dressed huh. fine." <laughs> like these things, like can't possibly exist together in the same person at the same time. It's impossible. It's true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So yeah, that that's the most of the stuff I got about him and I got about the book and the and the film. Um there's there's a little bit more I have on like the Scots dialect that the that the book is written in, though some people apparently think that dialect is sort of a pejorative way to to refer to Scots. Interesting. I, don't know. I would yeah, love I'd... to hear more about that after a break. Mm-hmm. 
Craig, we're talking about the book Train Spotting. Yeah. But uh, for a second here, I'd like to take a break to do a little ad spotting. Can you tell me if there are any advertisers who are sponsoring our show this week? Let me look around. I found one. It's hey, nice. Better help. You spotted them. <laughs> They're here. Overdue is brought to you in part this week by our sponsor, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 48 hours, and you can send them a message at any time. It's available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise as a listener. Folks will get 10% off their first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. We did it, Andrew. We spotted the ad. Good. All right, Andrew, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about... The language thing, you want me to try and set up the book a little bit? I guess you should you should set up the book and you should set up the characters because it does seem like more than more than anything else from the book, like Welsh has been interested in revisiting these characters a bunch of times. Yeah. And I would like to know the deal with all of them. Okay, with all of them. Great. Um I just have a line here in my notes that says plot question mark question mark, because there's not I mean, there's stuff that happens, but yeah, you're right to want to say, like, let's just talk about the people, because some of the stories that we encounter are a little out of order, but it's never really clear um, what exactly... It's not like he's like, let me help you piece together the mystery of the Skag Boys. Mm -hmm. He is just kind of unloading these vignettes on you. There are a number of stories that start and you will go a page and a half before you know explicitly like whose story it is and you kind of have mm-hmm. to figure it out through context clues. Anyway, I just have a note here that says a bunch of rages, which is a word that gets used a lot for the boys, a bunch of crazies, mm-hmm. uh, do drugs and get up to some morally questionable hijinks in Edinburgh, London, and other places. That, to me, is what happens in this book. So our main character... Mark Renton, Rents, Rent Boy. Uh, those are some of his nicknames. Um, is he good at renting property? Well, is he, or is it just um, a play on his last name? Honestly, I hadn't really put that together. So Mark Renton is one of our <laughs> he's one of our primary heroin users. He is the main, arguably the main character of the book, and he one of the ways that he floats his heroin habit is that he is on the government dole. He gets money from the government for lack of employment. And he has multiple addresses throughout Scotland and I guess other parts of the UK. He maintains multiple apartments that I suppose he rents. Sure. And that's how he gets enough income to be a skag boy. Um, Later on in the book, during one of his periods of attempting to kick the habit, he does have some sort of nine to five down in London. Uh, as we see him, that does not last. But he is he is the rent boy, and he is sort of an anti-hero primary. You know, he's the protagonist, but we know that he's a flawed person. Um, I think we're supposed to 
Well, there are a couple of different interviews where Welsh says, like, yeah, Renton's probably the guy I'm the most like. But I do think that, like, the reader is also supposed to identify with him a little bit. Like, he is pretty intelligent. Is he, the, is he like, the first person that you meet? Is that, like... Yes, he's the what, first person. What is, yes. what is Welsh doing to convey this to you, the reader, that he he's the main the main? He one? gets the most... He's the first person... He's the first, like, POV character you meet. He is the person that you see use the soonest and like get um, any sort like go out and score some heroin at some point or at that point, I think the first time you see him really get some is this pretty, pretty hilarious. Actually, it's pretty gross scene where he uh, goes to score some from some dealer he doesn't like. And the guy doesn't really have anything except for some opium suppositories and he uses them so that he can get a little bit of a like slow bake hit off of them um but he's also dealing with some intense diarrhea so he does accidentally send those suppositories into a toilet and does have to dig them out Oh no! Yeah, Craig. Yeah, it's that kind it's of book. It's too late in the day for I have to work tomorrow, and you're telling me this. <laughs> it's like that's the kind of like this is some Borat before Borat kind. Of, this is like some dark, gross stuff happens in this book. So, and that's and that is Borat to you. Well, no, there's a lot of other stuff that is Borat, but I'm just it's thinking like, of suppositor- like suppository diarrhea is like <laughs> that's the thing you you associate the most strongly with the movie Borat. Oh, it's it's like well, hmm, that's a good point. It's a bad just- point of comparison. <laughs> I'm just thinking about like I'm just gross calling out you movies on this, and things. I'm calling you out for this thing that you do, where none of the cultural references that you make in everyday conversation. <laughs> seem to exist past 2006 it's true it's true and so it's possible that something that is more like this has come out oh you know the um, movie borat came out yeah the the scene in bridesmaids where they all have to poop oh yeah and she's pooping in the street because she ate the food yeah Yeah, sure that it's sort of like that's another that's another thing where somebody pooped (laughs) it's another movie where somebody pooped um (laughs) So that scene happens early on in the book. We we meet a few other characters through uh, Renton first, um, but overall, like the reason that he is our like protagonist, quote unquote, is he begins the book, he ends the book, he gets the most like on page time. He is our he is our POV character for more parts of the book than anybody else, and he is like he is. Well read enough to make some interesting references that we as like a reader of books might get. He Mm -hmm. is able to code switch a little bit better than any of the other characters in the in the novel. So like there's I was going to I was going to ask about the the code switching because like we'll we'll talk about this in a bit, I think. But a lot of the book, as I understand it, is written in this Scots dialect, which is. English, if you read it phonetically, but on the on the page especially depending on how how much the author is leaning into it can be 
like you need to read it once to take in the letters and then like read it again to take in the the meaning. I, <laughs> yeah, I had to get on this book's wavelength a few times where it was like, okay, I am wow, this is hard to okay, no, I'm with it and now I need to take a break cuz clearly my yeah. brain has been working overtime. But but like in the, in that context, it is easy for the author to to show a character code switching because yeah. all, of a, all of a sudden you're you're speaking the queen's english to get something that you want so i was i was gonna ask if i was gonna ask if that happened i was also gonna ask like for a book that is so sort of disjointed plot wise and like character focused if individual characters are meant to have arcs or if it's just a bunch of stuff that happens like i, I know in the the way that addiction can work it really does defy like a clean linear experience. Na- yeah. Yeah. Like, like I was, I was clean and then, and then I was an addict and then I was an addict and then I got better. Like it, it is marked by a lot of relapses and, and periods of like in betweenness. And I was, yeah, I was curious how that, how that was presented and, and what, I guess what story Walsh was trying to, tell aside from just like a realistic depiction of what this of what like being an addict is like like what leads to it and what sustains it yeah yeah in this like area of the world so yeah i don't know no those those are my questions i threw them at you all at once (laughs) and i'm I'm drowning in them and now Um, i'm not going to talk anymore no i need you to talk andrew because there's not a narrative that i can hang my hat on with this one um that's fine but like pick a good question and and just run i do want to make sure that i tell you about all the skag boys which is the thing that you asked for first but i will say that overall the things that we see happen to mark renton in the book are largely at least as i interpreted them pretty chronological and so in as much as other things happen throughout the book and we get scenes from other characters, um, the stuff that Mark experiences works pretty well as a like, okay, here's a guy who starts the book with this addiction. It's clear that he has tried to kick it a few times. It's clear that he has this system for how he can live financially in the world, even though he's like still struggling, you know, to get by. And, a couple of different characters, their relationship to either uh, heroin or their family or to HIV or different things changes. And by the end of it, Mark finds a way to get out, but not in a way that's clean or both either like literally clean from dr- for drug purposes or like morally clean. He, he does not get either of those things. Sure. Um, but there is this sense in the book that all of them are kind of mired in this like political cultural soup that sucks that they would look like a like a toilet of diarrhea that they have to live in. <laughs> and Jesus. they they really there's like a nihilism that a lot of them are living with and. It's not that Mark finds something to, like, give him hope, but he does end the book with a ticket out of Edinburgh and out of the UK and mm-hmm. and away from these skag boys. Um, 
that ultimately is like he does he screws them over and that's like how he gets away because now he's like well now i can't go back or begbie will kill me um and so he he has forced himself into a situation where he will have to start over whatever that means we don't know but the the prevailing vibe of this book is that like these guys in this community have this kind of like like gravity sink that just just rips people up and will make them the worst version of themselves but also makes them all codependent on each other sure and i think that to your to your like secondary question of like what type of story is welsh trying to tell like i don't think he is romanticizing drug use and i i watched a clip about the movie on on youtube and people were, you know, talking about the contemporary, the contemporary like fears about this movie coming out, and like the youths being so excited to go take drugs, and like, I don't, I don't know, this book doesn't do that for me, sure, um, but it does show how and why people have a hard time saying no to that stuff and have a hard yeah. time finding anchors of support where they should get it or the ways in which the ways in which some of the marginalized characters in this, like all these characters exist at the margins for the most part, but the ways in which they actually experience like, you know, the national health system or. Yeah. I was going to ask about, about like if, if the book had like a political thing, it was trying to say, because like if, if Welsh is writing this in the early nineties, like you're kind of just coming off of Thatcher's yeah, like long stint as, as prime minister and this sort of realignment of, of, of British politics and this, and I don't think it, I don't know that it happened to the same extent as it did in America under Reaganism, but this sort of like, undermining of the social safety net mm-hmm. especially for like marginalized folks so mm-hmm. I, yeah i was just as, as you were saying this thinking about the timeline i was wondering if if that was part of the book at all or if it's just kind of implied or or, or there's a there's you know. a there's an essay on welsh's website some article he published called drug cultures in tra- in train spotting and porno um and he says, when I embarked on my first novel, I was writing response to several factors. Most important was the city I grew up in and came to understand as a very different place to one portrayed by the media and the tourist industry. And he goes on to talk about like Edinburgh as this international arts town. And, you know, it's just this wonderful place where you go and experience art as a tourist. And he's self-evidence nonsense, perhaps. But this received wisdom had achieved such a hegemony that it took Europe's biggest heroin-fueled AIDS epidemic to give somebody attempting to write about the city's working class any sort of credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and goes on to you know talk a little bit more about there was massive unemployment, and first there was you know there were hard, really hard drugs available locally, and then it was being imported from other countries. And, you know, nobody wanted to deal with it. And then also this sense of and this is something that you and I lived through, I think, also the like the the just say no, like, you know, war on drugs mentality of and what he the way he puts it is like folks would tell kids like, don't take drugs, they'll kill you. And then like too many folks were able to just point around and be like, well, that kid smoked weed and they're not dead. So 
I'm just gonna yeah, just like abstinence as panacea. Yes, stuff the way that which, that does which not was, work. Yeah, which which is true of drugs and within like especially like more conservative communities around like sex yep. mm-hmm. in ways that are completely unhelpful. Mm-hmm. 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 Completely unhelpful and just erodes any sort of trust between individuals and like figures of authority who might be able mm. to then help you if you are having trouble with those things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Cause like, if, am I going to go up to the sheriff who <laughs> came into our classroom to talk to us as part of the dare program? If I did do drugs, which he told me explicitly a lot of times not to do, if I do do drugs, am I going to go up to him and be like, Hey, I did these drugs and now I need help. I don't think so. No, no. He's kind of burned that bridge. And I think that's something that Welsh is responding to. Um, Later in the book, uh, one of the characters, Tommy, who is not one of the Skag boys. He's he's in the, in my opinion, he's in the the orbit of the Skag boys. One of the, the, yeah, the extended Skag boys. It's like, you know how the the Rat Pack and the Brat Pack, like they had the core members. (laughs) And then the hangers on. Like extended. Yeah. And Tommy is a guy who I think experiments with some drugs, but does not actually take any heroin until after he experiences a really messy breakup and he goes to see Mark and it's like, yo, could could I just like try this? And everything about it that could break bad for him breaks bad for him. He gets incredibly addicted. It really spirals out of control. He does end up contracting HIV. Um, and there's this whole section where Mark visits him at the end of the book where he is living in like government housing. And this is going to be me at home out. This is going to be my first attempt at the, the speech yes. of, Oh man. Yes. Uh, Tommy can I get out a West Granton? Tommy can I get out of West Granton? He's blown things with his ma. This is one of the, Varicose vein flats, called so because of the plastered cracks all over its facing. Tommy got it through the council's hotline. This is not in the in the I have a better dialect section later, but fifteen thousand people on the waiting list and nobody wanted this one. It's a prison, it's not it's no really the council's fault. The government made them sell off all the good hooses, leaving the dross for the likes of Tommy. It makes perfect sense politically. There's no votes for the government down here, so why bother doing anything for people who who are gonna support you morally it's another thing what's morality got to do with politics it's about poppy poppy is money so that's like two sentences where welsh is like yeah we were in austerity mode we sold off any sort of government housing that could actually like be considered good quality yeah like the the ruling party is not interested in votes from our area anyway which we'd do see to varying extents with how you know different uh governments treat blue and red states yep. in america yep. and so now this guy um who is very personally dealing with this crisis uh is going to get the worst version of help from his government um so like that is that is how i think is a, an encapsulation of of some of the politics that welsh is bringing to this thing um, okay, sorry. I want to roll back. I want to go through the Skag Boys real quick. So yeah, hit, me, hit me with these boys. So we've got Mark. We've been talking about Mark for a little while. Um, we've got Simon Sick Boy Williams. <laughs> uh, his, okay. Th- most people call Man, him that, Sick that Boy. That name should be. It should be less cool. 
It should be less cool. I should be less interested in living a life that makes people call me sick boy. Yeah, he's a con artist. He's very promiscuous. He's the one who has the best luck with women. There's lots of scenes that involve these boys trying to pick up women, and uh, sick boy is the best at it. Um, He's very selfish. He's always on the lookout for a score. Very late in the book, he has kind of moved on. I think it's sick boy who is like, almost starting to pimp out some of the girls that he is with um with or without their knowledge it seems unclear and and other members of the skag boys unit are like this is too far sick boy you gotta stop um the one of the biggest sick boy scenes is that he has a kid with a woman named leslie he treats leslie like garbage um there's a lot of that in this book don't who boy uh, a lot of men treating women like, woof, not great, because uh, these are not good skag boys. The child that he has with Leslie does not survive, Andrew, and there's a pretty mm-hmm. intense scene where a bunch of them are, you know, having drugs at a, at a drug party, and the baby dies from, like, I think it's supposed to be like SIDS. Like, it's like, they, they call it cot death. And the ensuing rest of the chapter is like, who is culpable? Is it because, you know, Sick Boy and Leslie were using? Is it because all of us are here using? And everyone basically decides to not take any blame for it because they would actually have to face what the lives that they're leading. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's mo- so it's like, yeah, you don't actually want to be Sick Boy, no matter how cool Sick Boy's name name is. is yes right yeah um how about uh daniel uh spud murphy do you want to be called loves spud? potatoes loves potatoes this guy he does well he's he, i like spud actually okay he's like the okay he's like the nicest kind of like childlike one of the group he's a petty thief he does get sent to prison for a, for like 10 months because there's this scene where he and Rents have stolen a bunch of books and sold them. I guess they haven't gotten to the selling part yet, but they got caught st- stealing books that they were going to sell so that they could buy some drugs. And Renton, who is now code switching in front of the judge, is like, well, listen, Your Honor, I was just going to read those books. You can tell by my fancy accent that I am learned and I was excited to read those novels. I am also in treatment. You can believe me. It's totally fine. And Spuds is like, I don't know, man. I just stole these books. <laughs> I just needed uh, to score. And he just he loves his friends. He loves animals. He doesn't like to see animals mistreated. And he kind of just uses, because what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's this, it, he's not... Like, oh, the world is a mess. There's no reason to do anything else. He's just kind of like, he's gotten mixed up in this. He doesn't see a way out, and he's just trying to get by. Um, And then the other main skag boy is this guy, Francis Franco Begbie, who really is a psychopath, like a a full-on, like, he gets, he's, I think he does, he uses, he doesn't use as much drugs as the other ones, but he does drink a lot, and he just loves to fight. Most scenes that Begbie is in, he is hitting people. 
He is cajoling people physically. Um, there's a big landmark scene, I think about halfway through the book, where he just throws a pint glass over his head while they're at a bar. Uh-huh. Like you do. I mean, whom's, whom's among us? Yeah. And he hits a guy in the head. Okay. Sounds familiar. And the con that Begbie then puts on immediately is he runs down and he just goes, who did that? <laughs> We're all trying to find the guy We're who did this. <laughs> the guy who did this. And it does escalate from that working for a few pages to a full on like bar brawl breaking out and Begbie's fully in his element. And mm-hmm. the reason that Begbie, like, I don't know, there's lots of lots of ink shed in this book of like rents and other characters ink yeah ink spill oh excuse me lots ink of ink shed is i mean i do it's interesting come on into the ink shed well no not not the ink shed which is our independent fountain pen <laughs> store but it is it's an interesting way to talk about like a like a violent sword fright. Oh, ooh. which is what maybe you were thinking about when you said ink shed. I mean, that's exactly what I meant. Thank you, mm-hmm. Andrew, for getting you're welcome. it. Um, I got it. I not everybody gets what you're putting down, but I do. He is someone who is always in a group of people, like kind of taking charge. Wants you to know. That if you're having a good time, it's because of him. He's always telling various conquest stories or fight stories or stories that he lived through. And to like get through an encounter with Begbie, you have to like inflate his ego and agree with him. And you never know what's going to happen if you don't. So you might as well yeah. not. And I Sort just, of like hanging out with you, I guess. It's ex- sounds like a lot like you. I would love to keep up this bit, but the notion of actually hanging out with someone like Begbie makes me so uncomfortable. Because <laughs> he is such a uh, not. He's like a lot. He's a live wire. He's a loose screw. He's like ten other idioms piled on top of each other, mm-hmm. and you might die if any one of them goes off. So. There's a scene where he's just like walking down the street and he just punches someone for fun. And like, yeah, what are you going mean, to do with I've that? I've seen you do this. I've seen you do this like literally eight or nine times. Yeah, I don't know why you are puncturing my very pleasant image on this podcast <laughs> by revealing me to be a violent sociopath. Craig has a has a reputation for being like the nice one or like the, the upbeat one. Yeah. And I want you to know that he can only do that because he does get all the violence out when he is going through the park, just punching old ladies in the face. It's true. The only reason I'm able to be so cheerful on the pod is because I have like harmed someone. Like yeah. I have I have smacked ice cream out of a child's hands on my way mm-hmm. to a recording and that's how I mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. in the mood. And you and you wag your finger in their face and you say that's what you get and then you walk away. And you and don't you get just, upset, you, I say as I you, walk away. Yeah, and you pick up Skype and then we do the podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um the other hangers on I mentioned uh Tommy um there's a guy named Rab Second Prize McLaughlin. <laughs> His nickname, he got, he's a drunkard who always starts fights and loses. So he gets, his nickname is second prize because he always starts a prize fight in the bar and always loses. 
Second prize is pretty good f- for a guy where like last prize would also be accurate. Yeah. Like second prize, if you just heard that, you would assume that he had still beaten somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and his his backstory is that uh, he could have been a pro footballer, but he does have an alcohol problem. So he got kicked off the team after about a year or two. Um, I mentioned Tommy. And then there's a guy, Davey, who is also described as one of the most, like, quote-unquote, normal of the bunch. Uh, He has, like, two main stories that we meet. His stories, as I recall, are in, like, pretty close to standard English or some Scots English, but not the heavily accented Scots that we get in the Renton and and particularly Spud chapters. Um, And... He has a really uh, twisted story later in the book about contracting HIV and getting revenge on the guy who is responsible for it. That, like, that to me is like the epitome of this book because there are little narrative chunks that happen, and some of them feel like fully fleshed short stories, and some of them just feel like little drops in a bucket um that like you know help you meet the boys and what's happening to them and things like that and Mm -hmm. that davy story where it goes from it walks you through his entire revenge plot on this guy that is part of a chain of unprotected sex that led to him contracting hiv that walks you through everything from like going to support groups. So it's an interesting way for Welsh to like talk about that part of uh, of culture at the time and who might have been in those groups and the internal dynamics of like where people had contracted the disease from. Were they using drugs? Were they engaging in sex? Like, did they not know where they got it? And all of the different like tensions that would arise from that type of group of people. And mm-hmm. then it is also like turning into this like talented Mr. Ripley tale where the guy insinuates himself into the life of this dying man's ex-girlfriend so he can get revenge on this guy. And it's twisted. It was very unsettling. <laughs> and I don't want to talk about it on the podcast. But then it's like, is it twisted? And that it makes it more twist Because like, did he do the <laughs> twisted thing? <laughs> Wow. And it is it that one was like, oh man, well, she wrote a short story and it happens to take place in this book. Like that has a mm-hmm. that is one of the a couple of them that has a very distinct like you could read that in a in a collection of stories where they didn't relate and it would still make complete and utter sense and you wouldn't have to know anything else about what was going on, which is not the case okay. for a lot of other parts of the book. Sure. Um and so those are those are the Skag Boys. Um, some like interesting, you know, we talked a little bit about how we meet Rents. Um, I talked about what happens with Sick Boy. I talked about pleading before the judge. There's a like, okay, there's a, it plays out as darkly comically as you think it might, Andrew. There's a whole scene where Rents picks up a girl from a club and then goes back uh, to have sex with her. And she's like, hey, 
can you like keep quiet? Don't make a lot of noise. Like there's, you know, you're going to wake people up. Like, please don't make a lot of noise. And then they have sex. And then she's like, okay, you can't, you can spend the night on the couch, but like, you got to get out of my bed. And he's like, this is going, this is weird now. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you made it weird. Um, and then he wakes up and two people are like making breakfast and being like oddly nice to him. Who do you think they are, Andrew? Uh, I don't know. They're her parents. Oh, no. And she is not of age. Oh, no. Boy. And oh, it's, boy. And, he, and he's like, I got to go. Yeah, this got bad really fast, huh? A lot of the stories take those kind of turns. Woof, man. The way that the beats land where he is like realizing the terrible situation he's in. How is he going to talk to these very nice parents as he attempts to get out of the house? And then I don't know that like the book leaves an open question as to whether or not he has the the morals to to close the book on that relationship entirely it's it's left a little ambiguous but it also doesn't come back in any real way either which who knows um mark's mark's not a a particularly amazing person is what i would say and none of these people are i think if you come into this book with that understanding it might help you like get through some of the objectionable stuff that happens like yeah i mean that's I think I think that's got to be part of the calculus if you're reading a book that's about people like people who are dealing with addiction is like they, they are not going to be by any like conventional definition of the word like good people because their addiction is going to make them stoop to lows that do seem um, unfathomable for people who are not dealing with those. Well, and it's, and it's, and and so so I guess like the, the question from there becomes like how sympathetic is Welsh in portraying those people or like, like what is, what is he showing us to counterbalance the, bad things that these people do either either to get drugs in the first place or as a result of having taken them yeah that's a good question i think yeah i i found parts of the book surprisingly sympathetic so like one example i'll give is there's a couple passages that are making direct or some kind of indirect references to various fascist and white supremacist groups that might exist in europe um, sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically, uh, there's a lot of discussion of like orange men or orange heads, as they referred to in the book. This is a reference to something called the Grand Orange Lodge of Scotland, which I believe is a like a loyalist fraternity might be the specific term that was founded in the 19th century or 18th century uh, as like wants to keep Scotland part of the UK wants loyalists to s- in this case being loyal to the the crown yes. or to the the yes, yes the to English the Protestant yeah. to the Protestant crown of England mm-hmm. um and there are some scenes in the book where folks who are either definitely orange men or at least are affiliated thereof um enact some some racist violence against I think in one scene it's it's Spud's uncle who uh, has some West, what is 
referred to as West Indian descent. It's not, it's no more specific than that. Um, and gets in a big fight with some skinheads at a bar. And then there are some members of Rent's family that are, uh, he refers to as orange heads a lot in a way that is like, okay, we're, I don't know, my, my politics oddly line up with rents at parts in parts of the book. <laughs> and so that's like an interesting push and pull for me as a reader, where it's like rents is also like incredibly uh, like treats overweight people terribly in the book. He treats women mm-hmm. pretty badly in the book. But when mm-hmm. the book is like discussing politics or the role of government and some other socioeconomic stuff, I'm like, huh, I can see where you're coming from, Rance boy. Huh. So it, it, I think Welsh does a pretty... He is effective at creating some complicated folks, particularly Rance, um, that you are like, I don't know that I like this person. There might be some times where I agree with them. There might be some times where I can see where they're coming from. Um, there might be some times where... I wonder what I would do in that situation. Now, something I would not do that Rents does, Andrew. Mm-hmm. His brother, who he has two brothers, one who dies previous to the events of the book and one who dies during the book. Um, his brother dies in the military during a bombing in Northern Ireland, I believe. Um, and there's a lot to do about the like, what do we think of the troops and stuff like that. That's very... I don't know, it, it rang very um, true to a lot of the conversations we've had in the last 20 years since 9-11 here in the States. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but he uh, he shags his uh, late brother's wife in the bathroom after the funeral. Nice, cool, that's cool. And then when she's like, does this mean that we're like gonna you know be together or something he just leaves and goes to london and gets yeah, right. and relapses and uh i think that may be when he actually he encounters a man named giovanni from italy andrew and spends the night in his room oh no it's giovanni's room we're back yes it was a fun little reference that happened mm-hmm. he treats giovanni okay to be perfectly honest that's good i mean giovanni's got a, he, he's had a uh Bad time of it. Yeah. If the novel Giovanni's Room is any yeah. indication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, at, at the core of the book is, like, here are some guys who are really, as you might, as as an outside observer might assess, kind of wasting their lives. Sure. But many of them, and Rents is kind of the most eloquent one throughout the book, is, like, what would I do instead like what is presented to it's this really intense like pre-reality bites nihilism <laughs> um and so i'm gonna this is another uh this is another uh language i, mean, I know we know, we need to come back to the scots language before we close out here so i'm just gonna read this real quick um tommy is asking rents why he does heroin and he says, uh, it kind of makes things seem mere real to real to us. Mm. I'm not going to I'm just going to try to read it in my own. I'm form. not going to I'm not going to and I'm not going to time code you. I'm not, I need everybody to hear it, you it, working through it this. It makes things seem mere real to us. Life's 
boring and futile. We start off with high hopes, then we bottle it. We realize that we're all going to die without really finding out the big answers. We develop all the long-winded ideas which just interpret the reality of our life. I don't know what's happening in my voice. Our lives in different ways. We do really extend in our body I worthwhile knowledge about the big things, the real things. Basically, we live a short, disappointing life, and then we die. We fill up our lives with uh, a bad word stuff, things like careers and relationships, to delude ourselves that it is nay all totally pointless. Uh, smack's an honest drug because it swips, it strips away these delusions. With smack, when you feel good, you feel immortal. When you feel bad, it intensifies the stuff that's already there. Is the only really honest drug. It does nay alter your your consciousness. It just gives you a hit and a sense of well-being. After that, you see the misery of the world as it is, and you can nay anesthetize. I don't know how you would say anesthetize <laughs> uh, your cell against it. And there's a couple other speeches that are sort of like that, where he's just he also talks about smack being a uh, and heroin being a drug that like crowds out using other drugs that like really takes over you. Um, sure. And yeah, there's just this like big, I'm trapped here. This is who I am. What's the use? Cause there's a big part in the center of the book where his parents try to get him to go cold Turkey withdrawal and it goes, it goes yeah. very bad. It's depicted in the book as like a real, um, it is actually, you might expect a book where everybody uses heroin to have a lot of like drug trips in it, right? The mm-hmm. the trippiest passages are actually when he is trying to kick it, um, and you get a, a pretty intense like dream sequence going on. Was that and is that depicted as like withdrawal symptoms yes. yeah. or yeah. okay, yeah. sure. Um, and so yeah, that that is his like defense of what he's doing, and then the book ends as I've said with there's this big like score where they they are doing a drug deal, and he rips them off and like hightails it out of there, and has convinced himself that he can never go back. Though there are several more novels that feature these skag boys, so I guess he must come back. Um, yeah, who, who can say? Who can, who say? can say? But he uh, he has at least left Edinburgh, which feels like it has trapped him. Um, let's talk about the language as we close out, Andrew. So what did you bring? You were you had that note before we took our break many moons ago about whether or not like calling it a dialect was right. Like, what's what did you find there? That's worth I mean, the, the thing about like whether calling it a dialect was right was just like an offhand comment from a, a Scottish author. Just, okay. Like, finding the description of it as dialect to be pejorative. Um, the, I mean, the most interesting quote I found was another one from an, a, another guardian piece, just talking about the use of it in, in the context of train spotting in particular that just said, uh, quote, if it looks obscure, all you have to do is speak the words aloud. Yes, for Which, sure. Which, you know, if you listen to whatever it is that you were doing, it it does come through and you, you don't necessarily need to try and like replicate the way that the exact vowel sounds are to like get what is what is going on yeah i have a Um, i have another passage from there's a scene where spud and rents are purposefully failing job interviews so that they don't have to go off the dole assistance mm -hmm. and they've inflated their resumes 
And Renton's tactic is to like kind of overdo it in the interview so that people won't hire him. Hey. And sp- it's a reference to the name of the show. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. Spud's thing is as soon as they reference something on his resume that he lied about, he's just going to come clean about it. <laughs> and he says, uh, I don't, I'm, Laura's been watching a lot of Outlander lately and I'm really having trouble like keying in to the Scottish that I've been listening to in my own house. I don't know how accurate the Scottish and Outlander even is. There's Scottish so. people on the show. Okay. Um, ac- actually, man, I've got to come clean here. I went da- I went to Augie's St. Augustine's, like say, then Craigie a Krigorsting Ken. I just put Dune here. It's because I thought it would like help us get the job. Too much discrimination in this town, man. Ken, like say, as soon as suit and tie dudes see Harriet's or Daniel Stewart's or Embuch Academy, they couldn't they get the hots, Ken. Amen. Would you have said, like, say, I see you attended Greg Royston? It's cool, man. I'm relaxed. It's just that I really want this job, like, say. Couldn't I sleep last night, though? Worried I'd sort of blow it, like, say, Ken. It's just when cats see Craig Royston on the for- or in the forum, they, like, say, well, no... Everybody that went to Craigie's a waster, right? But eh, you can Scott Nisbet, the football player, like say he's in the Huns, a eh, Rangers first team, hardin his hardin his ain against a eh, the expensive international signings by Sunis's Ken. That cat was the year below us at Craigie, man. That's feel like I'm losing my mind. <laughs> well, <laughs> listening to you do that. That's that's what it's like to read. Uh, to read train spotting. I have a quick quiz for you, Andrew, on some of the Scots oh terms used in the book. Please quiz me, Daddy. Oh, okay, before I quiz you, close the book on the discussion here is that it's like it is very interesting to read a book in this voice and a book that plays with this voice, as we were talking about earlier, a lot of the code switching stuff that Rents does in particular. Um, it does, if you are not familiar, if you don't spend a lot of time reading like Scottish Twitter, I guess, like for fun, you might take a little time to get on that wavelength. When you asked me about Scots, I, I thought about both Scottish Twitter and the extremely embarrassing people who are not from Scotland who were trying to imitate Scottish Twitter and just being awful at it. This book also uses the C word a lot. I won't say that on our podcast, but it it is less offensive over there, I guess. Or that's my understanding. Yes. Um, and so it's kind of an all-purpose noun to describe people in this book. So awesome. just like buckle up, anyway. Okay, so here's my here's, these are ten terms that I there's a glossary at the back of the novel, Andrew, which I found helpful. <laughs> um, tell me what a baron is, like a kid. Yeah. Tell me what a bird is. A woman? Yeah. B-U-R-D, a lady friend, the novel says. Um, what's a vadi? Vadi. A vadi is a cool car. I have I know I'm ordering a vadi soda. I'm getting vodka. Ah. Okay. So okay. you've got two okay. so far. What's a tatty? You might eat a tatty. What's a tatty? Oh, well, Henry calls... That's what Henry says when we offer him Teddy Graham. So I'm going to say Teddy Grahams. Um, I'm, I do love your son, but he's wrong. It's potatoes, so tatties. But that's close. Okay. He, Ted, but... Okay, sure. Two and a half points you have right now. What's a knob, Andrew? 
Uh, I mean, it's either a a, a ding dong uh-huh. or just some guy who's a jerk. Yeah, probably both. But you're you mostly leaning on the first one. So three and a half points. Okay, doing well. Um, if I had to go to the bog, where am I going, Andrew? I mean, you go to the bathroom. Yep. Uh huh. Four and a half points. Uh, this one I'm not going to help you with. What's a chalk box? C H O C apostrophe or hyphen box. Are we going through? Are we going with? And I can tell you're watching the spelling bee. Can I get this in a sentence? Um, <laughs> you you can stick it up your chalk box. <laughs> Is it your bee hole? Yeah. Nice. There's no good okay. sentence that I could use. It's used in even looter terms in this book. Uh, then stick it up. Your that was that box. was something else that came through in the that Guardian thing was like mostly you can get this through context. Yeah. like even even without the glossary in the back, you can you can get this through context. Um, Fitba, F I T B A, Fitba. Oh, so you're, you're Fitbit, obviously. Obviously, no, it's football or footy or soccer. Mm, Five okay. and a half points, still stuck. Um, if I'm using the Shunky, Andrew, <laughs> this is one that did not make sense to me when I read it. Using the shunky. Yeah. I mean, is it me like see. a it's like can't do it? Can I get this one in a sense? Let me see. Uh oh, you'll get it. I'll whip off my kecks and sit on the cold wet porcelain shunky. The turlet. <laughs> yeah. You might as well translate it as turlet. <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh and the last one, Skaggy Bod. Now Skaggy, as you might think, bod b a w e d, bod skaggy. Bod. Now I tried I mean, to I search guess, it. I would, uh, I guess, I would assume wasted, maybe or or something like it. Like you're you're bowed by the skag that you're on. You might, yeah, yeah. You might be too skaggy bod to uh, enjoy the evening with the lass you brought home. Oh, is it like? whiskey whiskey ding dong <laughs> except you have been using things stronger than whiskey yes because yes, the skag yes. boys so okay yes that's what skaggy bod means so you got there you got like wow. what six and a half points not bad yeah i passed you did pass good job um and i did go into the joke territory with the fitbit one yeah you wasted that one if you were really so i should get like another half point okay for that because i might have got it seven right. points yeah if i seven if you points. had asked that C- one c's earned degree <laughs> if you had asked for that one once told me in a sentence you would have gotten it for sure yeah. definitely definitely mm-hmm. definitely um i had a fun time with this book it's a lot it's a lot a lot a lot i didn't even tell you about some of the other like gross but funny scenes that do happen there's at least one other one that involves poop that was pretty funny to me cool just some more like real borat stuff you know (laughs) i'm never gonna live that down Um, (laughs) but there there's other stuff like the the back third of the book after um after Mark has left for London, he starts coming back a few times and he meets with some characters we met early on, like Tommy or this guy, Johnny Swan, and some other characters for whom their lives have, are now catching up with them in some very real ways. Like, for anybody who th- thought coming into train spotting that it's going to be this like romanticized version of drug use, like, that is not, that's what those characters are there to, uh, yeah. To convince you that that is not what's going on. Uh, sure. Yeah. So 
and and I think the legacy of the book people really latched onto the film I mean people latched onto the book and then I think the film is what made it like a cultural phenomenon outside of the UK mm-hmm. um and a lot of what I was reading about that had to do with like the soundtrack and this kind of like I don't know I feel like it's a few it was probably what Fight Club was for some of us in terms of this like anti everything energy that spoke to people at that time, probably also like educating some people about that late seventies, early eighties punk scene who maybe didn't live through it, but like identified with it. Sure. Um, so that's probably why you know about train spotting also. Cause you and McGregor was Obi-Wan and everybody wanted to know where he came from. That's everybody loved Obi-Wan in the star Wars movies. He did fine. He did fine. That's the book. Andrew, I'm going to stop talking about it. Um, Perfect. If folks want to keep talking with us about it, though, they can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Thanks to the Barons, including Kate, Akshat, Rachel, <laughs> Yeti, Shelby, Brianna, Adrian, Tom, Brad, Stephen, and many more who have reached out in the past week. We did put our July schedule up on social media this past week. Andrew will tell you about that in just a second. Thanks to Nick Larangis for our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple and Google, our RSS feed. Uh, you can also find us in uh, Stitcher and Spotify and pretty much anywhere else you find podcasts that you like. Uh, we have got up there on that website a link to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash OverduePod. Support the show by kicking us a few bucks every month, and you can also get bonus episodes early and uh access to our YouTube live streamed bonus recordings and, and the long read projects we do. We're still working our way through Don Quixote as uh, translated by Edith Grossman. We're having a good time. And then, uh, yeah, we've got links to the books we have read and are going to read. You can click those and you can buy the books, uh, support your local bookstore and us and get a cool book all at the same time. It's win, win, win. What do you read next week? Andrew? Next week, I'm reading The House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende. After that, I'm going to be talking about Heap House by Edward Carey. Dipping back into that magical realism well. Love to do it. Love to do it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Until we talk to you next week, I'm not going to try to say this in Scots because it would be humiliating. If you could try try to to be happy, would you? Oh, my God. Try to be happy even after hearing that. Good luck. That was a HeadGum Podcast.